Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Greg. Hello. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we're going to be talking about legal matters. Uh, we're going to start uh, today's episode by discussing uh, things that are in front of the Supreme Court, you know, one of our favorite institutions here on the show. And when we move on, we'll talk about stuff going on in New York's court system, which is no less weird and bad for some reason. Um, it's going to be a fun one. So uh, without further ado, it, Greg, I, I think you might be the man to pose this question to. Um, why are we talking about the Supreme Court? What's their deal? What are they doing now? It's not good, is it? No, it's it's it usually isn't. Um, okay, so the case we are looking at is called Glacier Northwest, and it is regarding a strike that took place at this company, Glacier Northwest, which appears to make c- cement, concrete, something. Uh, and the their workers uh, went on strike, and they left the cement mixers running uh, so that the didn't harden in the trucks and destroy the trucks, which I think was nice of them, but, and I am not a materials expert here, apparently some of it, the cement concrete, somebody's screaming at their, at their radio right now, went bad due to not being used quickly enough to the tune of about $11,000. They then sued in state court. Now, normally you can't sue for labor issues in state court, and the Supreme Court wants to potentially make it so that you can. Let me back up. The National Labor Relations Act establishes the whole foundation of labor relations in in the United States. And that almost all goes through federal courts and federal administrative agencies. You can't sue for kind of related things under state causes of action. In this case, you know, they're suing for property damage, wrongful loss of, of business, you know, wrongful loss of money, rather. And they're trying to argue that because they are suing the union leaders instead of the union, that it's okay. Obviously, that could have potentially a chilling effect on the uh, on union activity. The basic idea being that under established law, if you, if somebody goes on strike, the, your company can't seek to muscle you under through the court system outside of the established union bargaining process. Like they can't do an end around by suing you into submission. They have to actually deal with the reasons you're striking rather than trying to weaponize the legal system. Is that roughly what we're talking about here? Yes, more or less. And the company's argument is that this is closer to the union leaders, you know, intentionally destroying property, going out and beating people up in the course of a strike, things that things that are not considered union, act, you know, protected union activity, and so could be theoretically uh, handled under a state court system. 
this is, in my opinion, ridiculous because you don't, I mean, you can't intentionally destroy employer's property, but you don't have an obligation to keep working. That's, that is the whole, that is how striking goes. And sometimes, and there's cases about milk and cheese and so forth, that if things do get spoiled, perishables, uh, then some of that is to be expected during a strike and does not take it out of the realm of protected activity. Right. So the, and the Washington upper courts, the, the court, I don't remember if it was court of appeals or whatever, but the, the Supreme court in Washington agreed and said unanimously, this is ridiculous. They're allowed to strike according to the rules set by the NLRB. And nevertheless, um, the company appealed to the Supreme court and the Supreme court took it on. Um, because fundamentally what Glacier what Northwest is suing about is what they called destruction of property, but it was really, it was nothing was destroyed. They had to waste some concrete because nobody could drive it to where it needed to go. So it didn't get poured in its proper location, but it, it wasn't destroyed. It wasn't, nobody's life was in danger because they didn't get $11,000 worth of concrete. Um, It's, it's definitely a frivolous suit that, is is aimed at the action of striking. If I had to guess, this would be a, a plaintiff who is chosen by, by some conservative organization to uh, take this as a test case, because normally $11,000 in the action of you know a large company would be absolutely not worth it. But if you know theoretically they can cripple unions by doing this, it's worth the legal fees. Just purely by coincidence, I recently uh, read a John Steinbeck book called In Dubious Battle, which deals with a a strike among fictional apple pickers in California. And it's set and was written like in the 1930s when a lot of these questions about what was legal to do during a strike was still very much up in the air. Um, The NLRA had only recently passed, if it had passed at all at the time this book was written. And so the book is largely about violence and the use thereof in order to get what people want, either from the union uh, attacking strike breakers or from the company attacking strikers in order to, instead of this legal process going through the courts, everything was done sort of through shows of force. And, in theory, I guess the NORA was designed to prevent that. But here we have a situation where you know, force can take a lot of different forms. A company is going to have better lawyers and more resources to pay lawyers than any sort of union worker or union leader. You know, even with the combined resources of a union, that's not really the front the they are capable of fighting on. They, their weapon is the ability to withhold labor. And in theory, this sort of case could strip them even of that if it's deemed that, you know, withholding your labor is, you know, damaging your employer's property by letting it spoil in a truck or whatever it is concrete does that makes it unusable. Yeah, it hardens and you can't unharden it. Yeah, so the the biggest question in the case is more than just what can uh, somebody sue a union or a body that is on strike about doing that. It's asking what 
role or what powers does the NLRB have in regulating labor? Because right now, as the law stands, the courts have decided pretty much that in cases of extreme, like technical, whatever this is, um, they're going to allow federal agencies to determine what is and is not allowed. They're going to be able to set the, the threshold rather than going to the courts to adjudicate every single time. Is this allowed? Is this allowed? Is this allowed? They're going to have one body that can say, yes, this is allowed in this case. No, this is not allowed in this case. And what the what they're asking here is saying, well, no, even though the NLRB has already said pretty much that this is allowed, and we know this because the union is suing uh, the company and saying that, or suing the company in with the NLRB to say that they retaliated against us for for legally striking. NLRB has pretty much already said, yeah, that's that's a legal strike. You can't retaliate because of that. Now Glacier Northwest is saying, well, no, the NLRB can't determine what is and is not allowed in the strike. And the bigger implication for that is, one, it it weakens the NLRB. And we've already talked on the show extensively about how, even though they are limited, they are the best source of protection for workers in this country. And they need to be funded in order to fully support workers. Um, But two, it, it could open up action against unions for economic losses. So beyond just property damage, if I go on strike and my company can say, well, we lost half a million dollars in sales because they weren't operating during that time, are they going to sue me because of that? And that's the biggest, that's like, that's the harm that could come from this, uh, this case. And that's the, the big, big problem. And why a lot of people who care about labor rights are, you know, concerned about this. That would be a pretty big step from this lawsuit, but I don't think it's one that we haven't seen the court take before in other contexts. So if they wanted to, there's nothing to stop them or for this to lead to a subsequent case. We know that Neil Gorsuch has, in particular, has made it his absolute life's mission to just destroy the administrative state for a variety of conservative legal theory type reasons. He may well get his way if he's on the court another 10, 20 years. And you know, none of the other none of the other conservative justices are going to be terribly sad about that happening. Certainly. Uh, so, yes, this would be a pretty big this would be a pretty big blow. And more than that, this is this is a a one a one way blow and a one sided. If the preemption doctrine were to totally go away, then at least theoretically, some states, maybe a few of the blue states, could pass very strict labor protections, more so than we have with current federal law. But this case particularly is almost invariably going to be going to use against union leaders because business owners in their individual capacities very rarely go down to the job site and attempt to beat up union workers. You know, it's not it's not a thing that happens. So this would only be used against the workers. It has you know, there's no possible collateral benefit here. Yeah, the owners don't go beat up workers. They hire Pinkertons to do that. Yes. Can't be avoided that because the Supreme Court is the way it is, is why this case is in front of them. Like, we probably wouldn't be seeing this case on a federal stage if the court looked differently. But 
the court has a 6-3 conservative majority at the current time. It has a proven track record over the last few years of siding with businesses against labor. With Noah not here, it falls upon me to refer to him as friend of the show, Neil Gorsuch. Famously, he is no fan of organized labor. And as Greg, you pointed out, none of his allies on the court are either. Um, There's this Vox article which tries to explain the case. um, And it cites uh, the case from 2021, where the Supreme Court ruled that uh, a California regulation requiring businesses to allow union organizers to at least enter their work sites in order to speak to farm workers, that became null and void because the Supreme Court wanted to toss it out. Just to quote from the article, the Constitution permits the government to require businesses to allow unwanted persons on their property. Think of laws requiring restaurants to admit health inspectors or requiring factories or mines to admit safety inspectors. But Cedar Point invented a new rule that excludes union organizers. Uh, Cedar Point Nursery versus Hasid is the name of the case. And so it's that sort of court that we're dealing with. And that is really the reason why we shouldn't expect anything good to come from this case, should we? Like, Greg, is there some possibility where this court decides, no, actually, the business is wrong here? Like, is that even in the realm of possibility? It's, I mean, it's possible, but the best case scenario here is we continue the status quo, which is not that great anyway. Like, it can only get worse. Nothing, it it can't get better from this ruling. Uh, You know, barring, barring, you know, something completely unforeseen. Asteroids, Um, things of that nature. Yes. It is not a 100% true rule that the court only takes these things up when they, um, uh, when they want to reverse it, um, you know, there's internal court politics about, sure, we'll take this case to shut up so-and-so, but we're not going to actually do anything about it. But it's not a good sign that this is very clearly settled. There's no circuit split and they're choosing to take it up. Yeah. I'm reminded of when Roe versus Wade was being reversed and how Kate Uh, came on the show and talked about how it would be absurd to imagine a world in which Roe versus Wade was reversed because as far as legal precedent, um, that would make everything chaos, Um, that nothing would be decided, that everything could be challenged, that there would be to some degree and to exaggerate just a tad, just a tad, uh, no rule of law anymore. And so for me, in this post Roe v. Wade being overturned world, why won't this? There's there's nothing stopping the Supreme Court from saying, yeah, you can sue uh, strikers. Who cares? Do it because they don't like anything good or fair or just. Um, that's the world we live in now. I'm yeah, not I'm not optimistic about this one. I mean, the reason that they wouldn't is, well, you know, the reasons are either they don't feel like dealing with the backlash. Some of the conservatives on the court are not really that into gutting administrative agencies um, on the theory that they will, they may want to use them someday. You know, 
I, I only yeah, I, Thomas Alito and Gorsuch almost certainly want to destroy all of them. I don't know about the other ones. I guess the other the other thing is, will this cause a whole bunch more litigation that they have to deal with and don't feel like it? Maybe. Uh, but no, none of those are particularly, you know, strong hopes to pin it on here. Certainly. I'm going to read a bit from this, um, an article in lawandcrime.com, which uh, notes that uh, the Biden administration filed an unusual brief, quote, in support of neither party in this case. Uh, effectively, the Biden administration stance here has been to say that it was wrong for the Washington Supreme Court to dismiss uh, this case so eagerly, but also the company should still listen to what the NLRB has found here. Um, they've sort of struck trying to you know, have it both ways in this case. I'm curious what you make of that, Greg. It is a little unusual. Um, I don't know why they filed the brief at all in that case, frankly. It seems not... It seems kind of a waste of everybody's time, but maybe they're trying to do what I said before and basically find a reason that the Supreme Court is taking this up without totally overturning labor law here. Um, but otherwise, I can't. I don't know why you would file a brief saying, eh, "I'm I'm kind of ambivalent here." It's a no. It's a classic. This makes perfect sense because we all know Joe Biden to be the biggest fence sitter on the planet. And he can't decide. He wants to be the most pro-union and pro-labor president in the past 50 years. But also his donors are all like, but I don't want to pay people anymore. Make them stop striking. So, yeah, he, he's trying to play both sides. And he is, um, words I can't say, on radio about it. Well, there's also, so the, the, the case on point um, here is uh, called Garmin. And there's one of the exemptions to this to, to the federal preemption I talked about before is whether the regulated conduct touches interests deeply rooted in local feeling and responsibility. So maybe the people of Washington just care so deeply about their concrete that they have to, um, you know, that, that this just has to um, go in state court. Yeah, that, that seems like a um, – it's hard to uh, – believe that sort of argument that this is in fact a issue of deeply local passion um, and just couldn't possibly be dealt with by a federal institution. It, that doesn't really pass the smell test for me at least, but um, I am dealing with allergy, so I can't smell much of anything at the current moment. Um, now, I think the pile of poop that that argument is, you would still be able to smell, right? No, never fear. Yeah, concrete, I'm sorry, that is not a locally produced thing that is only made in that one wherever in Washington State. Sorry, that's that's completely ridiculous. Uh, uh, no, I, yeah. I was not serious. I guess, theoretically, I could imagine a case where a particular strike was so divisive to a community that a local court was a better adjudicator of it, but this is not. This does not seem to be that case anyway. So, no, I, I, that, that was, I don't really think so. There's some fun bits in the uh, oral arguments before Supreme Court, which are quoted here in this law and crime article. It quotes uh, 
Noel Francisco, who is the lawyer arguing on behalf of Glacier, the company at hand here, uh, is saying, you know, that this is, quote, more than a mere stoppage of work. Francisco likened the drivers leaving cement in the truck to a riverboat operator abandoning passengers on the water, um, which elevates the stakes here in a way that, again, just seems kind of silly. Um, Justice Sonia Sotomayor took the lead from the bench during arguments and characteristically focused on the plight of the employee and pressed Francisco on how limitations on striking could be interpreted. Could the state tell the union not to go on strike until the end of the day, the justice asked. When Francisco answered that it could not, Sotomayor next asked, and what's the difference between that and telling workers not to strike while the truck has cement in it? Sotomayor, one of the judges who can be counted on to you know, have workers' backs in this, unfortunately, she is part of the court's minority. We've talked about this in the past. I'm punching out how the law is not nearly the etched in stone magnanimous thing that a lot of people have this interpretation of it being. It is in fact kind of whatever judges want it to be. And we may well see that again being the case here. To a point, a lot of judges want the law to be that way, to be a kind of, you know, etched in stone set down from on. So the system kind of works. But then when you get judges that no longer believe that, it doesn't work. If, you know, it, it goes from kind of working to just not at all working. I'd also like to uh, quote from an article showing the average uh, lawyer's sense of humor. A uh, moment of levity came when Sotomayor prompted Suri, uh, the, the uh, Solicitor General, uh, tell me how to write this decision. I suggest copying our brief, Your Honor, the government's lawyer answered jokingly to the hearty laughter of the justices. Oh, oh, oh that's so good. Oh, oh let's big old knee slapper that hearty one. Hearty laughter. Uh, it, I think no we're going to end just... this segment on that laughter. You know, just how could we possibly follow that up? That's uh, right. We're take a break here. Um, <laughs> I would just when drop we're Noah. recovered from rolling on the floor with laughter, we'll uh, discuss stuff that's going on closer to home here in New York state. And well, we'll explain when we get there. We'll be back. You're listening to punching out on W a Y O L P Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Greg. Still here. And Lou. Hey, guys. Uh, In our first segment today, we talked a bit about a case before the Supreme Court, which would change the rules of how companies are allowed to handle striking workers and whether they can sue them in local court for whatever damage they may perceive to be done to them by the strike and the action of not working for them. The Supreme Court, as we've discussed, is a conservative majority institution. It's, you know, not something that we can ever 
expect to have the side of workers in at least in its current arrangement. But here in New York, I think people have a reasonable expectation that our system, you know, it's a little more enlightened. It's better than what uh, those clowns in Washington, D.C. have to offer. Um, And that expectation isn't really correct because, uh, boy, do we have some silliness going on in our cart system. I really the focal point of this segment is going to be the nomination of Hector LaSalle to the New York Court of Appeals, which is our Supreme Court. Um, it is not called the Supreme Court, but it is the highest court in the state. And this is a selection made by Governor Kathy Hochul, which has drawn the ire of, well, just about every group responsible for getting her re reelected, hasn't it? Yes. Uh, liberals, uh, reproductive rights advocates, union uh, leaders, a bunch of other uh, random New York senators who aren't, you know, who aren't even known for being particular leftists, but don't like this pick person judge judge lasalle is, is generally thought to be the worst out of the list that uh she had to pick from so why did she do it like what's going on there what's what's her deal uh brain worms alien abduction either she owes somebody a favor or she wants to stick it to the left or she didn't really think that hard about it because this is not usually a contentious nominative process. And somebody just said to her, Hey, LaSalle would be good. And she went for it. Um, or Lynn, when Miranda's dad told her it would be a good idea. And she just loves Hamilton and that one other show that he was on. There's an idea. Um, I, I guess we should dig a bit into the details of what has made LaSalle such a controversial pick Um, One of the rulings that has drawn the ire of particularly labor, which is, of course, the interest of this show, is in a 2015 case, uh, Cablevision Systems Corporation versus the Communication Workers of America. And sort of similarly to the Supreme Court case that we discussed in our first segment, the ruling here determined that it was well and good for Cablevision to bring defamation suits against union leaders, uh, which was a departure from longstanding New York precedent. And so this, again, is something where now individual union leaders are could find themselves legally responsible in a way for strikes or for whatever rhetoric they might choose to use in a way that, of course is could have a chilling effect could have the effect of making them less vocal in their demands or any number of things that are bad this is part of both both the anti-union push which you know there's always an anti-union push going on in conservative circles that's their whole thing uh but also a specifically uh move to make it easier to sue people for libel and defamation that has come up um, particularly in the last few years around Donald Trump, but also um, 
the case that protects journalists uh, while reporting is New York Times versus Sullivan, and at least a couple of uh, Supreme Court justices have signaled they are open to revisiting that um, and potentially making it much easier to sue people for defaming the wealthy and powerful. Uh, Greg, I'm not sure if you've uh, seen any of this, like just through the news, but there's um, a case in Texas where a oil billionaire is suing Beto O'Rourke, alleging that O'Rourke's campaign slandered him by saying that, uh, you know, his money was the cause of some decision or other made by Governor Greg Abbott there, you know, to the industry's benefit. No, isn't here, so I feel obligated to point out that his name is Robert, <laughs> and that he's not really Hispanic; he's Irish. But um, yes, he yes he he is being sued for uh, accusing this power oil magnate of of bribing Governor Abbott to loosen regulations. The question is whether someone just because he's a billionaire who donated you know jillions of dollars to a political campaign, whether that makes him a public figure or not. I think that's pretty obvious, but the Fifth Circuit is relentlessly conservative. Yes. Ah, sorry. Yeah, that, that, that's what I meant. Not crazy <laughs> pants. Relentlessly conservative. My but, bad. Uh, yes. Uh, this yeah, LaSalle, as I said, people are mad at him about religion, about abortion rights, about a number of things. But this, this labor case, it... Again, it, similar to the other case, it, it adds to the hurdles that unions have to go through and the things they have to defend against and just drains their money and their time and their attention. Um, and this one probably isn't going to be revolutionary. It's just going to be yet another thing that makes it a little bit harder to, to accomplish labor action in this country and weakens unions a little bit more. It's funny how the introduction of and growth of union movements has led to these Supreme or these court cases that are really anti-union and, and making that. And it's almost like this doesn't really have a whole lot to do with actual legal precedent so much as crybaby capitalists. Sorry, alleged. Well, uh, interestingly, a report came out a couple of months ago that said that despite unions being much more in the news, actual union density is, is slightly lower than it was the last couple of years. So it's not even necessarily that there are more unions. People just feel like there's more unions. And by people, I mean rich people, the only people who matter. I, I guess to the uh, situation with LaSalle, something that has been encouraging has been the fact that New York Senate, state Senate Democrats have largely joined in opposition against him. Unlike Kathy Hochul, they have deemed that his anti-labor positions, his anti-abortion positions are in fact a bridge too far and they have banded together to effectively deny him a place on the court of appeals. They, they, I mean, they have denied him. They, they, they rejected his, well, the judiciary committee rejected the appointment, which normally would be the end of it. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, uh, Kathy Oakle is considering her options to sue the Senate based on the New York constitution that requires the Senate to vote on a nominee within a certain time period. And she would consent that that's the whole Senate, not just the way the Senate chooses to do its rules, which is put it in a committee and then report out to the whole house in the same way most legislative bodies work. So I, do, I 
couldn't say if that will go very far or not. I don't. I'm not sure that's ever been tried before. So it could be fun. Wild that she would be considering suing the state senate just, on behalf of a nominated justice. Just take the, the L at this point. Yeah, the amount of effort and the length she is going to to fight this specific battle to die on this specific hill is frankly puzzling like and it's going to mean that for the next you know months or years until it's resolved there's you know there's not going to be a chief justice of the new york state court of appeals my my dad has went down to albany from from buffalo did an appeal there and uh he's gonna have to go back whenever they resolve this because the justice is deadlocked um so he's not happy she has gone to the length of like bringing in national political figures to uh, argue on LaSalle's behalf. Hakeem Jeffries, the new uh, Democratic minority leader in the House, has lobbied on LaSalle's behalf publicly with uh, great effect, as we can all tell. Say what you will about Kathy Hochul's predecessor. He would not have gotten into a battle like this that he couldn't have won. And it seems that Hochul is determined to very publicly lose this battle. Another thing, which is maybe something people don't think about, the Chief Justice of the Court of Appeals also has a significant administrative role that other judges don't. Uh, they're in charge of the whole court system, including, um, you know, in- including all the, the non-lawyer non-lawyers who work there. They're in charge of significant. They have significant influence on. Uh, lawyers in general, because they set the uh, the um, continuing education requirements and so on and so forth. Um, they also have to make reports to the um, uh, they have to make reports to the legislature about various court type issues, and you know that's stuff that isn't getting done, which maybe you know isn't as big as a big court ruling, but is still going to affect you know thousands of people throughout the state. Whatever reason she has for putting. Attempting to put LaSalle in the court, I don't think it's going to outweigh, like I said, months or years of this position being vacant. Just nominate somebody else on the list that, you know, that all the people who elected you uh, and the people in the Senate who don't like LaSalle can agree on. What's really weird is I heard uh, on, I think it was the local NPR station here, that uh, Kathy Hochul's approval rating is higher than it's been in the entire time she's been in office. So on the one hand, all the people who got her elected are really irritated that she has done this and put the state and all the people that supported her in this position. On the other hand, maybe it's working for whatever like weird end goal Kathy Hochul has. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe that's some kind of insight into what she was thinking. Like maybe she thought we need to nominate this really conservative person to win um, rural New York voters. I don't know. It's very strange. It is kind of natural for someone's approval rating to go up when an election campaign's over and there's no longer ads running about how terrible you are. So it may be a consequence of that. I don't know. I would love it if, if your everyday voter deeply cared about the justices of the Court of Appeals. I don't buy it, but you could well be right, Lou. Some of the rhetoric that Hochul and her backers have been using in this 
and they're in making the case for LaSalle has been struck me as cynical. Gonna quote a bit from a New Republic article which quotes a appearance she made at a New York City church on Martin Luther King Day to rally support for her nomination. Uh, Here's the governor. Quote, Dr. King called upon us to be just and to be fair and not to judge people. And that has not been afforded to an individual named Judge Hector LaSalle, Hochul said. My household knew the story of Dr. King. When he was gunned down, assassinated, my family sat there and held hands and wept. How could this be? How could this man of God... who taught us about nonviolence and social justice and change and not judging people by the color of their skin or one or two cases out of 5,000 cases decided. Flabbergasting. Wow. Yeah. Not liking this guy is exactly the same as killing Dr. Martin Luther King. Like, yeah. Okay. Sure. People have also, and I, I do suspect this way may have been one reason Hochul, uh, Hochul wanted this. She wanted to be the one um, to nominate the first uh, Hispanic uh, Court of Appeals chief judge, which, depending if you count Benjamin Cardozo or not, but he would. But you know that that is that is a good step. That is a step towards diversity and progress, and, and it's, it's a good impulse. But this guy is not it, and, and frankly, I think the people who have tried to paint this as Progressives hate Hispanics are not, I don't think they're arguing in good faith. Uh, This New Republic article goes on to note that uh, police had to remove an activist from the church uh, who stood up against Hochul and protested her appearance, uh, which is exactly the sort of imagery you want on your behalf on Martin Luther King Day. I believe it was a a mostly black church. I think that was the the setting way to make it all about your own thing though like one of the great people in american history the one holiday we give to somebody not white and very you know 200 years dead and you make it all about yourself way to go like props props for for that i will have you know that christopher columbus was italian italianics so um Okay, let's not get let's not go there. <laughs> um, the other thing that people have said is that this is a, a pretty technical ruling to just send it uh, to kind of very narrowly send this case up to a higher court for examination. But that that explanation rarely holds up, in my opinion, and it doesn't here. One of the other cases that people have sort of. Uh honed in on and this is one of as Hoka would put it you know one or two cases out of 5,000 that people have an, are upset with is uh, one where LaSalle ruled that it was okay to exclude jurors on the basis of their skin color because that is a different thing from race which is protected and would not be illegal. What? Yeah. Okay. I mean I guess if two jurors are both white or black, one could have a darker skin color than another, but I still don't like it. That's some like serious revisionism in terms of how we understand and process race in this country. Goodness gracious me. Wow. I I will say two things about the, the, the technical arguments that first off, even if these cases are not as bad as people think, they 
nobody is pointing us to the good cases that you know really like you know th- these very important decisions that he has made that are extremely good show why he should be on the court which i i would like i would like a nominee to have those um, and more importantly because of what we said before that the law is extremely malleable especially when you get up to to high court levels because things get there because there are arguments on both sides generally I want someone in office who is going to be able to overcome the the technical issues of the case and really kind of get to the justice aspects of it. You know, you can almost always dispose of a case on some technical that's technical ground. That's what we mean when we say the Supreme Court is going to punt on this or that issue. But to to take the case and to make a ruling that is going to substantially improve the lives, hopefully, of the people in parties to the litigation and also hopefully setting precedent that will affect other parties. I want, I want a chief judge to be able to do that. So if, if that's something he's not able or not willing to do, then, then I think we should find someone else regardless of the technical merits or demerits of the thing. I want to circle back now to a couple of things that we touched on earlier in this segment. Uh, Greg, you brought up uh, Luis Miranda, who is the father of Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy behind Hamilton and such. (laughs) There's a reason you brought him up because there's a Daily Beast article from just this past week with trying to dig to the bottom of what Hochul is doing here. To quote from the article... Multiple sources relayed private conversations over concerns that the LaSalle nomination may have been overly influenced by big business donors and New York power players like Luis Miranda Jr., the father of award-winning playwright and actor Lin-Manuel Miranda, who championed LaSalle from the beginning. Quote, it's all part of the same thing. He uses his son's fame to get entry and access for horrible companies and predatory companies toward our communities, the former lawmaker said of Miranda, whose firm Miram Group, lobbied on behalf of Cablevision, a company LaSalle ruled in favor of in its legal fight against the communication workers of America. It may well be that the reason uh, LaSalle is so popular among Kathy Hochul and Democratic backers is not in spite of this ruling against the communications workers of America, but because of it, because the other side of that scale was Cablevision, a you know media conglomerate. Well, it that may be, but she was uh, Hochul was backed by a lot of labor people, so at the very least, they think she's on their side. That that is not you know sometimes politicians pretend to be, but aren't. But I'm hoping that's not the case here, and hopefully they will back somebody else in the next election if. Well, a lot of them have been very vocal in opposing LaSalle and opposing Hochul's nomination of LaSalle. I I don't think I've seen much, if any, labor voice speak out on LaSalle's behalf. Um, She's had to rely on a few, you know, moderate Democratic state senators and, again, Hakeem Jeffries to sort of make a vocal case for LaSalle, but labor and the activist groups that, again, as we talked about, are responsible for helping her win re-election in an election that was far closer than it really should have been in a state like New York, just kind of spat in their face. And 
the timing of this is noteworthy because it is right after re-election. It is, you know, when those people have the least sway over her possible. She doesn't have to worry about them for another four years if she even plans on running for another term after this. You know, if she's going to make a play to, you know, tick those people off, this is when she would do it. And then the other thing to note here is that you we talked about the um, Judicial Committee in the State Senate ruling against LaSalle. That was a 10-9 decision where 10 Democrats voted against his nomination, three for it, and then six Republicans on the committee also you know, backed him or at least didn't oppose him. I There was some wonkery with the uh, actual voting process itself. But if she is indeed going to sue the state Senate in order to afford LaSalle a full vote of that body, it would be Republicans on the state Senate who she'd be lobbying for to get LaSalle on the court because she can't do it with Democrats alone at this point. Right. And if, if you're mostly supporting the, op, you know, if you're mostly being supported by the opposition party, I think you need to take a look at yourself and, and ask what you're doing here. You would think, but uh, yes. New York uh, governors have not been known for their self-reflection. I would say it, it's not a job that lends itself to that. Yes. We, we haven't mentioned that. So, this this will be the tipping point vote here. Uh, it's current it, without LaSalle, the, the the Court of Appeals is split four four between conservative and liberal justices to the extent that you can you know reliably say someone is one or the other. So this is a real this this is not just you know replacing somebody who's not going to have any impacts. You know this is good. This is the big one for maybe another ten years or so. And it's weird that New York would have an evenly split court given that it is not an evenly split state isn't it right but for many years republicans controlled the state senate or republicans plus what three or four democrat the the uh, the independent democratic caucus who worked with republicans and doesn't really matter how much of a majority you have in the in the other house if you have the senate so yes and of course uh Hochul's predecessor played some role in that as well. Um, I think we should take a break here. And then when we come back with the last 10 minutes of today's show, we'll try and find something nice to say about legal wrangling, you know, try and make this all positive. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Greg. Hi, everybody. And Lou. Courts. We've spent the first 50 minutes or so today talking about, as Lou said, court. The power they have, which seems like a lot in today's society. Just, we should do something about that. But more specifically, we've been talking about the Supreme Court uh, likely to... uh, 
enable companies to sue striking workers. And the governor of New York about trying to appoint Chief Justice who would, who in his past has uh, allowed companies to sue striking workers. As is typical on our show, we try to end with a positive note. And I, I think for me, the good news takeaway from everything we've discussed here is that this LaSalle thing has prompted as much of a fight as it has, because in the past and under different administrations, the New York state Senate would not have really bothered to, you know, stick up for labor against a judicial nominee made by the governor. In years past, these things would have gone under the radar and nobody would even have noticed if the left wing of the Democratic Party had some objections to the governor. Instead, we've seen the entirety of the state Senate Democratic Party sink this nomination. We've seen not just the small but growing number of uh, democratic socialists in the state senate but also moderates in the democratic party decide that no we don't actually have to approve this nominee just because the governor says so we don't have to stick a knife in labor's back and i think that's good to the extent that we have good news on this show that seems like a positive yeah that's yeah yeah that's true you're right Something that probably really annoys Hochul is that the, the the dislike that the Republicans seem to be able to get away with anything, because when they control stuff, then they can push through whatever reforms they want, regardless of popular support or not, because they can, because they ignore norms and precedent and everything. And by and large, the Democrats are hamstrung to some degree because they want to be able to uh, respect institutions and norms and, and everything like that. And it's nice that for once the institutions and norms are, they're working as intended instead of being subverted to or stopping progress. So that's kind of cool. That's neat. And it's good that the people who are saying that this politicizes the uh, office of chief judge are mostly being shouted down with, of course it's political. It's a political appointment made by politicians for political reasons. And being a judge also is inherently political. You hope that a judge won't change their rulings based on the you know political parties of the, the people that come before them. But in terms of deciding who gets what in society and how we uh, how people have to treat each other that is a political that's a political thing in the largest sense i i think it is um for the better that we're starting to have this um what we talked about earlier in the show this narrative of the law and the courts as you know neutral arbiters of the law that's sort of fading away. We're starting to recognize that actually these things matter and their opinions not only are can change and change, have real impacts, but we can't just treat everybody as 
oh, they've got a record of five years on the court. They're qualified. Uh, qualified is the term that has been thrown around uh, to back LaSalle. You know, nobody else is as qualified as him, but people are actually asking the question of, well, you know, what are his views and not just what are his qualifications? doesn't matter how long you've been a judge if you've spent that time making bad rulings. Yeah, the state bar weighing on whether a nominee is qualified just means, you know, do they have a good ethics record? Do they have a reputation for having their courtroom, you know, work well? So that that should be the minimum for what we want in a high court judge, you know. But yes, we go beyond that once we establish that they have, have that qualification. I do support naming Marxist fetuses to every uh, every court that we can find, but that has not yet proven to be popular. Not yet. We have time. There, There's an age limit on New York State judges, so... You know, you got to have as much time as you can. I think ultimately it is good that people are starting to view the courts and the law itself as a political realm, as not beyond the world of politics, but an extension of the world of politics or a continuation of it. Because without that recognition, without that realization, you're going to have a lot of, you know, bad things that people will pass off as apolitical as not worth uh, muddying up with you know the uh, tawdriness of politics uh you know a lot of people tend to throw around the word politics as though the definition was anything i don't like you know this should be above politics this you know we can't be denying a judge because of politics but Actually, politics are very legitimate reasons for opposing a judge. And the more that we acknowledge that and recognize that, like the better chances we're going to have of knocking down judges like this in the future and going forward. You're right. That is, that is encouraging. That is something. It is not something that helps us right now, but yeah, signs of progress. Uh, on this show, we take small victories where we can get them because fair enough. Not a lot of big ones out there. Yes. Uh, I should also apologize because I worked on Kathy Hochul's first congressional campaign. Uh, so, so clearly it's your without fault. me, not, all of this is my fault. Actually, yes, I, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I think this is the biggest villain reveal we've ever had on this show. <laughs> I did it for the Working Families Party, though. So I, I, I didn't do it for the Democrats. <laughs> Um, uh, but before Greg are canceled. more ah. terrifying reveals are made we should end this episode <laughs> um, for this week I'm Ryan I'm, I'm Greg Lou. I'm Lou <laughs> this is Punching Out you've been listening to Punching Out you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.